the podcast scott and and congratulations on the book oh thanks mike no good to see you and i appreciate it as my covid project there getting that book out i figured if it was ever going to happen it was going to happen have to happen last year after a couple of years of thinking about it and not doing it but finally got it up and out and you call yourself a data whisperer could you explain what you mean by that i help calm data down that's the tongue-in-cheek answer to that in the data management space, which I've built my whole career, we're all trying to calm data down, make it more sensible, get it to be managed better, understand what it's trying to do, lead it to the right kind of business action. But if you know me, you know me for a while, you see me up there on stage. I don't do a lot of, per- personally, I don't do a lot of whispering. So I save it for the data. Yeah, it's I saw more- you. I like that part of it because you're like, <laughs> I'm not really a whisperer. I thought that was really funny. I oh. shout about you. We, we got to yell, tell, and sell the... Uh, need for more data management. That's my banner that I proudly wave. Yeah. As companies struggle with this to, to manage this, where do you, where, and I guess it is kind of the same challenges that they face for a while, but what, where do you see people or what are they, what are they trying to do with this data that might be different than what they've been doing in the past from a, a management standpoint? I think they're starting to recognize that value, which is the focus of everything I do. How do you get strategic support, C-level engagement, business funding, stakeholder involvement for proper data management? There's no other way to talk about it. Getting the basics done, getting the foundation built before you want to build the house. The analogies just spring out of any natural conversation. However, the focus has always been on the sexier, more tangible, more exciting, sizzly stuff. And there's nothing in there after spending, like you, we've been in the career, kind of parallel careers here for a couple of decades. It always comes back to the basics for me. There's always something new. There's always something cool. There's always something fancy. And I just watched this go on and on and on. I came up with a post that got a lot of interaction on LinkedIn, both positive and negative. I just said, hardware comes and goes, software comes and goes, data remains. You've got to focus on that. And wherever there's data, there's the need for data management. And if you don't have data management, you can't do the rest of that stuff. Yeah. I see some companies trying to build these large data. I I want to avoid the buzzwords because I know you're big into avoiding the buzzwords. So I'll (laughs) I'll make every commitment to do that on this, but large data, either warehouses or or lakes. And and it seems like they struggle with, Hey, let's get something out quickly that people can act on. That's maybe using small sets of data because organizing this data in large warehouses, all the data we have, um, takes so long that so many maybe opportunities pass them by. You know what I'm saying? That they, they, that some of these data management projects, and I'm sure you've witnessed these from afar, go on for a long time and they never seem to get their, their arms around it. And then meanwhile, their business is either up or down or, or, or business is going on. And those companies struggle to add value out there. I think there's an inherent disconnect between Doing that work, that technical work, whether it's a data warehouse, data lake, data, whatever you want to call it, 
I look at all of those as just a place to put the data. So I know it's transformational having data lakes versus warehouses versus lake houses versus whatever it is. And I don't mean dispense with all that yeah. so glibly, but in essence, it's always just a place to put data. Yeah. So there's a disconnection between the excitement and focus on building whatever that is and the rationale that supports the business. What are the strategic intentions of a company? That's where I think people should focus the value of data on. What is that company trying to do? How are they trying to deliver value to their relationships through their brands at scale, which is what data and technology allows other companies to do, do that at scale. Then how do you point all that data effort toward those things rather than spending so much time on, here's our new reference data architecture for what? And that I see this gap and it's, it continues between what I call the why and the how. I'm focused on the why and my experience with business leaders, and I'm sure it's the same for you, is if they don't understand and support the why, they don't care about the how. So the message I have, and it's truly the message of my whole book, get your why down, get that story down. When you have a minute with your CEO, they don't want to see the reference data architecture. They don't want to see a demo. They don't want to see all this work you've done on APIs and moving from a warehouse to a lake and blah, 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 blah. Again, not to dispense with it, it's important, but if it doesn't have a business purpose that you can articulate clearly in that classic metaphorical elevator pitch, you're not going to get the ongoing support that you need. Mm. Uh, you know, I've talked to a company within the last six months that's actually on this endeavor of building these large data storage, um, whatever you would call them, mm -hmm. with the hope that once this is all in one place, um, insights will be teased out of it. Like just having this all in one place and, and we don't know what we don't know. And once we get this all in one place, the whys will emerge. And I'm just wondering what you thought of, of that strategy. Can you imagine doing it, you know, launching a product that way? or even like writing a book that way. I mean, producing anything that way, it seems so backwards. And it is that if we build it, they will come, worked in the movie, doesn't work in real life, certainly doesn't work in technology. And it goes back to the fundamental premise that I'm talking about, which is how does that bring value to the, to the relationships a company has? And I appreciate your trying to, not have too many buzzwords. As I mentioned in the cover of my book, it's 99% buzzword free. That's a guarantee. I can guarantee that 1% in there somewhere. Somebody's been at, so where's the 1%? I said, I'm sure it squeaks through, but the notion is really around how do you speak in a clear business accessible way about the value you can bring to an organization if you represent data. But it's been this ongoing struggle. I think it's, I think it's lessening I hope the developments that are happening in the space with the chief data officer as certainly the personification of a focus around data untethered from the technological aspects. I think that's a hope <laughs> and the decades and generations of data just being an IT thing. Yeah which yeah. a lot of people recognize now, but not everybody's getting away from. That's been a challenge. When I was at Nielsen early on and I'm talking to IT people and they go, yeah, we get it. We would use it, but the business isn't asking for it. 
It's like the business doesn't know what to ask for. They don't know how to ask for it in your language. And then you go to the business and you say, do you have a common customer definition? Do you have a lot of duplicates? How's your hierarchy? Is your classification structure okay? And they go, no, 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 no. And you go, all right, that's what mastering data, data mastering, data whispering, whatever you want to call it, can do for your organization. Oh yeah, we definitely need that. And then you got to get IT in there to go see. But taking a step back, after all these years, you go, why didn't IT know that? Why didn't they understand their business to that level? Yeah. People talk a lot about data literacy. How about business literacy? How about knowing and understanding being fluent in your business before you do anything? Have you ever had to talk a company out of maybe not storing data that they, maybe they're getting data at a frequency and depth from maybe a customer that they really won't in the near term or even long-term be able to act on, but then there, but there is this internal compulsion to kind of take that data and, and because someone's giving it to them or supplying it in some way, act on it. And, and then it starts this huge project with maybe no purpose. Have you ever seen that? That just because the data is available, there seems to be this, well, we can't just throw it out. We have to keep it. Like, there's never a, an upfront discussion as to, hey, you know what? I don't think we could act on this. <laughs> you know, not you at, not at a specific project, but around things like frequency, there was always this talk. You know, it was at Nielsen, was at Dun & Bradstreet. You know, we want real time. Well, what does real time even mean? You know, is that some people real time is every month. Some people real time is immediate. So just those in that dimension, I've definitely had those conversations. You know, what can you react to? What's the cadence of your business? Yeah. Does it really matter that your data provider can tell you we do 12 million updates a day if the cadence of your business is such that we don't really need it more than once a month? So there's that disconnect I've seen plenty of yeah uh, uh, and I'll, uh, hopefully this won't be one of your your buzzwords but how is data that i guess is being classified as unstructured like company websites or video or uh, voice some of the things that i guess we would consider unstructured data how has that changed things now or or is that stuff that isn't people aren't getting a handle on. What's your, what's your sense of this idea of unstructured data that a lot of people are talking about now? I don't think unstructured data is a buzzword, so don't worry. I, okay. It's a real thing. But to get value out of unstructured data, you need to put some form of structure on it. Another one that I get a lot of pushback on and a lot of support and pushback on is just a simple statement I put out on LinkedIn every once in a while. It just says, structured data works harder than unstructured data, period. I go, well, no, unstructured data has all kinds of value. Okay, tell me about how you get that value. Well, we look at that unstructured data and then we tease out. And so how do you tease out? You tease out what? Tell me. Things about our customers. Okay, that's relationships. Things about our products. Okay, that's brands. You've gone back to my two basic domains I talked about in that other statement, relationships and brands. How do you do that? Well, we tag it. Okay, bingo, done. It's checkmate already. You put structure on that unstructured data. So- and it had more value. Well, yes. And I've had that conversation dozens of times. It's hilarious. It's like, I've got to walk people through it. So it's not a competition. You get all this kind of, well, unstructured data is more important. Well, no, master data, structured data is the most important data any organization has. I will die on my sword on that one. I will defend that to, to at, at every attempt to defeat it, but because it is what the company is about. It's what the data is about. 
right? If you think about it in that way, the reason you get value out of unstructured data is you've figured out what it's about. And the only way to figure out what it's about is to put structure on it. One that I hear a lot is with, with unstructured data is being able to see something in social media, an emerging conversation about your brand well before it becomes known. And, and you know, they, they throw out uh, uh, a lot of examples about that, but maybe complaints that aren't being received by your complaint department. There's just like this uh, chatter, I guess is what you would call it, out in the uh, social sphere that if you were to tap into that, you might be able to be more responsive. But I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're saying for that to be actionable, you, it has to be somehow structured. Well, they have to. I mean, just listen to the just little anecdote that you described. Of course, it's valuable. There's millions of people talking about stuff. What are they talking? Are they talking about me? Okay. Are they talking about my brand? Are they talking about, you know, widget X? Well, you need to determine the conversation, the topic of the conversation. So when I talk about things like master data, reference data, metadata, I tell people, those are the things that the rest of your data is about. It's about your customers, it's about your brands, it's about your offerings, about your assets, about those things that are important to your markets, categories, classifications, lots of different terminology around the important structure people put on it. I dodge the technical conversation when people go, well, how do you structure big data? What? Again, it's, that's for these folks who have these wonderful techniques to figure out, but your purpose of structuring or your purpose of, of, of looking at unstructured data, semi-structured data, demi-structured data, whatever you want to call it, is to understand sentiment, is to understand topics, understand, name it, tell me the noun, okay? <laughs> so structured data, the nouns of the business, right? That's what they always called master data. And apply it to it. And I've yet to see that really break. And when I say, okay, master data is the most important data, it's because it is the agreed upon set of data types, hierarchies, entities that are the focus of the company's business. So it's not so much a fight about which data is most important, but tell me which topics are most important in a company. And the data that represents those topics is what your master data is. And applying those topics or tags or how, whatever terminology you want to use to other sources of information brings value. Rows and columns. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, the rows are what the data is. The columns are about the rows. Always falls back to the sort of very simple, hopefully not too simplistic, but simple way of looking at it to help somebody understand. Do you think some of these newer companies have an advantage? And I'll, I'll pick on a couple, but I take a, let's use this one because it's used a lot. Airbnb, it offers all these different locations for you and I to stay at. Um, they're in every continent now. An enormous amount, I'll give you an example. I looked at a place uh, to stay in Newport, Rhode Island, and I could stay in someone's backyard in their tent, no joke, for like $25. Or I could rent a yacht in Newport Harbor for $15,000 a night and everything in between, right? Their competitors in this space are, that company owns no brick and mortar facilities, doesn't really have a, a trained 
service staff and infrastructure for feeding, you know, nothing like that. They, they just are connecting excess capacity out there. And so their business doesn't exist without the data. And then there's the brick and mortar companies that are trying to, I don't want to, I'll say it, digitally transform. Sorry, I know that's one. No, that's, no, that's what, I mean, I actually believe in digital transformation is this ability to, you know, as I said, sort of provide value to your relationships through your brands at scale is a true form of digital transformation. So, yeah, it yeah. does, it does seem that, uh, that maybe these newer companies are just coming at it from an angle, you know, they don't exist without the data because they have no assets out there in the marketplace to sell, right? They, without the data, Uber and, and, and Airbnb don't exist. And you, you and I could run a business or open up a hotel and it would be, we'd struggle, but we could do it for a little while without a lot of data. And I'm just wondering, obviously it's, it's forcing some companies in the old world to rapidly adapt this, if not to maybe, you know, I guess Amazon versus maybe the brick and mortar retailers is a good example, but closer to home. Do you think that the brick and mortar will ever catch up to some of these digital entities that just, you know, use data every day? They, they don't know how not to use it? Let me, let me delve into the first part of your question there, which is like an Airbnb and being in the yeah. middle there with the data. Those are examples I use often on disruptors at a generic basis, disruptors come into markets through the data angle. Yeah. To your point, if Airbnb didn't have the data, they wouldn't exist. Right. People get distracted. We know that because we're in the data business. People think it's the software. They think it's the, you know, the, the app and the user interface. All those are important, but none of that works without extremely highly structured data. Talk about structured data. Airbnb, Uber, Amazon don't work unless that highly structured data is behind the scenes that connects identifies, unduplicates, classifies, geography, market placement, all those elements that are the foundational piece parts of any kind of data management program in terms of the target of how you want to structure your data. They do not exist. That example I use often, you know, we're from the consumer packaged goods world, so we know the UPC, but Amazon has a number called the ASIN. There are Amazon article number. I should memorize what ASIN stands for, but in any case, it's their unique identifier for every single product on Amazon. If you look deep in the product description, you'll find this ASIN. They had to create their own numbering scheme because there isn't a standard that covers all the categories they're in. That's amazing, isn't it? But Amazon doesn't have a can't execute without an ASIN, without that structured data. And attached to every one of those unique identifiers is the manufacturer, the distributor, the category, the sentiment, the reviews. You know, you start blowing it out, all those columns on that row. So to the first part of your point, yes, I think a these disruptors that come in have an advantage and I would imagine that there are people out there looking for opportunities based on the weakness of the data in a market and seeing how they can go through that soft underbelly and figure out a community app-based way to provide that value as an intermediary that is that will not happen without data. 
I think as users, it's it looks like magic, but it's all being run off structured data. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like I mean, right, right. the option of going to a tent in someone's backyard or going staying on a yacht for fifteen thousand dollars a night. Um, there's data on pricing, availability, and I'm actually putting in structured data, right? I'm putting in the dates I want. I'm putting in the price range that, you know, I say any price and I get those two very wide screens there of, you know, a tent to a, a yacht. A tent to a yacht. Yeah, that's a big like, range. Yeah, <laughs> but I could have narrowed it, obviously, but I just wanted to see what was just kind of a data person. I want to see what yeah. was available, you know, and it's just like, okay, in a way that is their unique service too, right? Because there's someone who would like to stay in the tent and there's someone who would like to stay on the yacht. There's customers for both of those. Neither I'm, I'm interested in neither. I'm interested in a hotel room, but, uh, or some kind of thing that resembles uh, a hotel stay. Um, but they're not only are they able to, to move and be disruptive, but they, they seem to be able to offer something. Their investment is all in the data and not in the actual building of hotels. A totally unique way of looking at it. I that part for me is the magic part. So that business model is the magic part rather than the, okay, some non-data people would think I touched my thumb here and all of a sudden I get all these different opportunities. We know how that works. But the magic part is that they're able to execute that at scale and then become this intermediary that creates all kinds of value that nobody even imagined before and do it in an almost ubiquitous way. You know, you talk about magic, Wesley magic, go to a supermarket, watch every little box, bottle, can, jar, bag go across a a checkout lane and hear that little beep for me that's that's how i explain the power of structured data to people who don't truly understand it or see it i say check it out you got a upc you got a barcode on every product in there it works on every type of front-end system in every type of store for every kind of product in those retail channels it would not work without it. And then think about the, the data that comes off that movement data, market share, where the UPC is gone in terms of consumer interaction, app-based value that nobody even dreamed of when they came up with that barcode originally but it all falls apart without it. Let, let's talk a little bit about the privacy thing. You know, I, I, I was at a conference once, it might have been you who said it, but uh, I was at a conference once and they said, hey, here's the difference in generation. Like people our age are walking down the aisle and they pass the mayonnaise and all of a sudden they get an advertising for an ad or a coupon on their phone for the mayonnaise. So someone knows I'm walking past mayonnaise and, and people maybe our age are a little creeped out by that. And, and, uh, and they ask younger people, and they'll say, wait a minute, I don't, I don't mind getting the ad when I'm in the aisle. I'm bothered that I have to go to the store to get mayonnaise to begin with. I don't find the ad, I don't find the coupon, <laughs> I don't find the coupon in the ad disruptive. I find going to the store disruptive, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and I was talking to someone, Sam Mancuso was on a, one of my podcasts a while ago. And he said, you know, the creepiness is uh, generational. We grew up with space, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey. We grew up with Terminator. We grew up with a lot of 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 the early Westworld, not the today's Westworld, but right. know, movies that showed machines turning on people. And um, younger people today have a have a iPhone in their hand, and they're doing powerful things with them. Before 
they even see one of those creepy films, you know? So they, all they see is the pluses. They don't see the minuses. We kind of got the minuses, the, all those warnings ahead of time and, and never, and, and, the, and the promise was later. But I'm wondering, do you have to deal or what's, what do you see the way the wind's blowing right now with privacy on data and personal privacy and, and, and that whole aspect? I'm not a privacy expert. I don't delve too much into sort of the ramifications of that, but my place in that whole value chain is around reinforcing the need for authenticated identity, common data structure. So many things are based on that. Whether you opt in or not, that's up to the regulators and the marketers who need to figure it out. But the function of opting in means you need a highly structured data back end to be able to manage it so you can share the right things with the right folks. I didn't say that, by the way. So the other panace story that you were talking about was not me talking okay. about it. But um, I think there's the need for privacy, the, the, the data privacy regulations, the understanding that you can damage your brand overnight by releasing data that you should have kept more secure continues to the support the strategic need for proper data management. The only way to solve those things, you can want to solve them all you want, but if you don't have the right data management in place, it's not going to be solved. What is a breach? It means that somebody at its simplest level falsified their identity to get access to something. I'm not a security expert either, but you just think about logic and, you know, in the process and know a little bit behind the scenes. If somebody got into a system and took something they weren't supposed to, then that system thought it was okay for that thing to get in there and thought that personifying it here, thought that it was okay for that entity to have access to something that it shouldn't have. So that backs into, look, if you have authenticated identity and a common data structure for these machines to talk to each other in the right way always, then those breaches happen less. My one-line business requirement for the internet of things is everything needs to connect to everything else when it should. Right. The should is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Question on... on usability of data or user interest in data. And I'll, I'll share a couple stories that happened to me over time. I was, this happened to me twice. One time I was training uh, people on a, you know, albeit a very early version of a trade promotion system that was, I'll admit it was clunky, right? And, and we were asking two things of them, one to learn the system, but also to give up, you know, the check writing to the customer. You know, they had, they had full access to write checks at will. And now we're saying, okay, we're gonna track every dime and you're gonna have to use this system. And so there was a cultural pushback, but then also it wasn't maybe a perfect system. So there's a technical pushback and the trainings weren't going well, but on the break, there, were, there was like a huddle and I kind of wanted to see what they were doing. And they were, they were signing up for, they, were, they had a fantasy football draft going on, right? And these guys were doing a lot more complicated processes, you know, like waiver wires, looking at all these metrics, much more complicated than what I was training on. They were pushing back hard on the training, kind of, you know, almost pretending they didn't get it, you know. But I look at it and go, okay, these people seem to get this, which is much more complicated, much easier. I had another one where very similar, I was training on a similar tool where during a break, somebody was showing people how to trade futures on, on Schwab, you know. Hmm. I'm like, okay, that's immensely more complicated. And, and I think what 
what the differences was is the foot fantasy football and the, and the guy showing the trade. There was a certain amount of passion around it. So like I find sometimes where you can go into a company and you'll find that people will have detailed knowledge of what's going on with each Kardashian and their fantasy football teams and have like rich stores of data in their head. But if you were to ask him what the top five brands performance in their category are or how their company might be even performing this quarter, it would be kind of, it might not be as robust, right? And, and I'm just wondering, do you, do you see that out there that um, some of these things, there's a lot of work going on, but then there isn't a lot of suction at the end as far as uptake? It's a problem. It's, and you know, those are funny anecdotes that you're talking about. I'm wondering, did you, were you able to turn some of those around and say, okay, you guys are really good at fantasy football. What I'm trying to explain to you is a lot easier than that. Or like even, yeah. even preempt it and go, I'm sure you can shop on Amazon. So this is about one tenth of that effort. It's nice to kind of play it back. I think you're touching on this difference between personal and professional interest. Anybody who works at a company, that don't know their top five brands should probably not. Like I said, you need a business literacy. Yeah. Passion helps perhaps refocusing it around the things that people should be passionate about at a company, which you're, I keep coming back to. I told you in the preamble that I always come back to the same answer. It's like, how are you, this is helping you manage your relationships in your company, whatever it is. And if you don't have relationships, you don't have a company. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we've been online, we've been in front of them. We know that people go, okay, our customers are most in part, but really, really, really it is. And so the data that we're talking about managing and interacting with is the data that represents those relationships. And we're trying to create this systematic and repeatable process. So you can spend more time developing and nurturing the human part of those relationships than doing all this other bureaucratic, boring, tedious input work or whatever that happens to be. Right. Yeah, I, had a, I had a friend that was actually, he was looking at creating, to get people more interested in internal data, um, creating kind of fantasy type um, events or apps for companies to um, maybe build more interest around that, right? That, uh, you know, the, the, the company, and I guess the idea is that the company that if the majority of people don't know the top five brands and how they're performing, um, I don't want to sound dire, but um, those types, if, if that's present in a company, they, they will eventually be disrupted by uh, Airbnb. They're, yeah. kind of, they're kind of sitting ducks, right? I yeah. mean, There's too many of them, for sure. Yeah, yeah and, and, and they're companies that all they're doing is looking at the data. So if nothing else, um, it may take a while, but they're going to outsmart your own people if, if all they're doing is looking at the data and figuring out how to leverage it. And you've got all this mountain of data, but your people aren't using it. And I, I just, you know, I, I, maybe I'm dating myself, but I used to see the tools were kind of clunky at the beginning, right? At Nielsen and IRI, the tools were really clunky at first, and we had to have people on site to kind of help right. pull the data. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's gone, right? But we still have people doing that. You know, there's still those people out there. And, and the, the, the ability to pull that data or even have it delivered to you in a format that you want every week now omnipresent you can just go in and say i want this report this way i want it delivered this way you know in this format and and you know so the means to the data has gotten much easier it just doesn't seem that uh, 
maybe the adoption has, uh, I think there was this feeling that once this is easier to understand, um, people will uptake it. And I, I think there's been significant advancements on the ease of up, you know, the ease of access. And I still, and, and you're seeing it in their individual lives where they're able to do all these fancy things on Amazon and do all these things and um, you know, work in social media. And then it, it seems like it breaks down when they, when you need them to maybe use it for their own work. Huh. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> you don't see that. You don't see that. Or... I don't see. I, I may not be in those rooms. So okay. uh, as, as, as much anymore, cause I'm less on the getting into the kind of implementation side of it. I've been spending yeah. the last couple of years really just talking about, okay, the higher level strategic value and need. When I was at Dun & Bradstreet, I had a ball because they would bring me in on kind of the command performance sort of, these people don't get it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I would talk about the things I talked about here, you know, who are your relationships? What are your brands? What the markets? What are, you know, at this point, I I'm, don't anticipate giving up these basic premises that just everybody comes back to. I call them the four C's of master data, the way you structure it, a code, a company, a category, and a country. I wish I knew that when I, I wish I'd come up with that when I was a Nielsen, because I probably could have sold a whole lot more. But those four things, when they don't exist, create all kinds of issues that look like they're unrelated, but they're all about the same thing. So if you don't have a unique code on everything that you, then you create a lot of duplicates. If you don't have a company hierarchy structure, then you can't roll things up. If you don't have a classification scheme and category taxonomy, whether it's genres or channels or segments, then you can't look at market share. You can't understand penetration. You can't do targeting correctly. And if you don't have a country or some form of geography, then you don't know literally where things are. So you get these four C's, you know, where everything is, you know, what kind of thing it is, you know, who owns it. And you know that it's unique and a lot of data problems go away when you get that basic structure in place. And I can draw a lot of, I can bring back a lot of data problems to those things. The challenge that I have is having people recognize that if I say, okay, there are four things I'm looking for in your data and they're either there or not there or the level of standardization is either there or not there or quality, however you want to define it. And they go, no, no, our business is totally different. It's complete. It's, you know, what do you do? Oh, we make widgets or you make stuff. So you have a product or we provide financial services. Okay. Then you have customers. I can always bring it back. It's almost like a parlor game for me. Yeah. So I may yeah. be overconfident at some point, but it's just consistent. It's like being a doctor you have new medicines, you have new techniques, but people, the human body is still the human body and you're understanding how it works and you look at basic stuff about the human body and you can diagnose things based on experience with lots of other patients that say, all right, this fever, these vitals, these, you know, maybe those four C's are similar to the vital signs of a, of a person. If I push that analogy to its extreme, but I feel like my value I bring to a conversation is being the guy in the room going, okay, what about the basics? 
Do we, do we have that? Are we good with that? And there's always head nodding. I get lots of encouragement. I get lots of validation. I'm not, I know I'm not way out there in space pushing the edge by any means. I'm going, let's stick with the core. How are you at the core? Yeah. And what's fueled me throughout my entire career is this recognition from the true data practitioners, from the real data experts, from the people who live and breathe this, who have a frustration at their organization because they know the value that they can bring and they're not getting the support for it because people don't understand it. And so I felt there was a gap in the market to say, okay, how do we help them tell that story? And what do we call that story? It's a data story. It's a story about your data. So write a book to help people do it, talk about it, spend time on it. That's been my focus. But bringing that about, it came from starting, and I put this in the book because I had to tell people why they should believe me in the book. The first part of it's my data story, how I even got to where I've gotten, why you should believe what I'm saying. And it started with selling master data services at Nielsen in the form of pre-mastered data about locations. Again, terminology I wish I had 20 years ago. And talking to IT people who said, all right, we get it, but the business doesn't get it. Or talking to IT people going, yeah, we need that, but the business doesn't understand that. So help us explain it to them. Yeah. So in the best situation, IT would say, all right, we're bringing the business in. Listen to this guy. He's the why, we're the how. Again, never, I'm back. I'm back positioning the stuff I dealt with. I wasn't that clear then, but that's what it ended up being. Yeah. And so getting and having people say, yeah, you get it. You can explain it. For me on the personal level, my personal hero's journey was, all right, know your limits. Know where you're good and where you're not. Know where not to cross the line. I pride myself at playing my position really well, but knowing my position. Another DB story, we had a very large client who I connected with very quickly because we were on the same wavelength as terms of the value that the data could bring to his organization. And he later requested that I get assigned to his account. And the account leader came to me and said, oh, they want you on this. I said, actually, no, they don't. Because all I do is talk about it. I don't, you don't want me behind the scenes. I don't touch that stuff. I can't help you figure out those priorities. I'm good at, if they want me to help them explain it, great. But I don't do that stuff. I'm just good at talking about the value that that stuff brings. So it was an interesting exercise because it was like, you don't want to be assigned to this account. It's like, no, I, I'll, I'm not the right guy. Let me put it that way. And uh, so as, you know, as we all develop as professionals in whatever world we're going into, it's understanding kind of that role you play and getting a, as good at it as possible, but recognizing it's a piece of a bigger puzzle. It's a position on a broader team and knowing where your lines are. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I, I really enjoyed your book. I picked it up on Amazon. Um, where else can people find it? They can get it on Amazon. They can get it from Technics Publications, which is the publisher themselves. Um, they sell it directly too, which is nice because then there's not the Amazon intermediary uh, piece to it, but it's certainly available on Amazon everywhere yep. through a, a very bizarre Amazon, I'm sure AI-driven categorization process 
my book is ranking under the performing arts category. Okay. So I'm in information management. I'm in a couple of the categories. And so I peaked so far at a, at number 192 in the performing arts category, which didn't take me too long to realize that I was probably the number one data book in performing arts. So I'll take it however I can get it. That is interesting. I wonder if the, I wonder if the reference to story makes it in performing arts. Or, or I would no. love to know. There's a, I, my picture's on the cover of the book and I'm on, oh, yeah. I'm on a stage. So I'm in mid story. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if maybe there was something in that, not that you can tell a book by its cover, but maybe you could categorize it by its cover. Maybe the story part, maybe, but there's nothing in there about per the, the, the number one book in performing arts is a guitar book. So beats me. There, there's a certain irony that this got misclassified, somewhat misclassified, uh, a, a data, data management. Absolutely. And, and yes. That is a funny, that is a hilarious part of that. There's that, a wonderful uh, irony to that, that I've been reveling in for sure. Especially with a company known for managing data so well. I know, I love it. I love it. It almost, it, the book sells itself that way. <laughs> But I appreciate you picking up the book, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, so much. sure. And uh, what is the name for our listeners? It's a data. Uh, is telling your data story, story. Data storytelling for data management. Ninety-nine percent buzzword free. And it's you know the data whispers practical guide to explaining the strategic value of data management. The focus, the target audience is certainly the data management practitioner who's trying, who's done the ROI, who's done the implementation plan, or is some level of that journey, but just needs to get stakeholder involvement. I have got a little section in there around talking to CEOs, talking to business leaders, which just comes from my sales background. I could have written a whole, you know, we both could have written a whole sales book, but I'm sure I tried to resist going too deep into the technical side, but just giving somebody who's really probably never had the experience of having to get up and do a pitch, give them some basics, real basic stuff. And then I think there's an adjunctive audience in the data science community who spends a lot of time focused on the techniques and the certainly the interaction I've had with them. There's a recurring struggle on making those techniques relevant to the business. And I go fairly deep into understanding what your business does, how to figure that out. Okay. So you can apply that value you've got to what the really the, the company's trying to do. Sure. Well, I really appreciate that. One, thank you for writing this book. I think it's going oh, to sure. oh. <laughs> be a huge value to people out there. And uh, I found it a great read. It's definitely for me, it's an area that I'm a little bit more on the on the user end and I never understood master data. And, and uh, it, so it really helped me on that aspect because I'm always like, you know, I, I'm sometimes asking, why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And it all goes back to the master data oftentimes, right? That I think is, so. It all yeah. comes back to that. Yeah. In a lot of cases, yeah. for sure. So no, thank you, Mike. I appreciate well, your your you know, kind words and support on that. Sure. Thanks for being part of the podcast today. And I really appreciate it. And best of luck uh, in the new year and uh, with the book. You too, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Mm -hmm.